Hello, everyone. It's been a little while since my last episode, actually over a month, in fact, but it was a much needed break as a lot has happened in my life. Um, so, you know, I needed to step away. It was good to take that break um, from recording and publishing this podcast uh, just for a, a short off season. So this episode is actually uh, the final episode of season two and is part two of my chat with Alex Friedman on strength training and conditioning. If you haven't, check out part one before diving into this one. Alex is incredibly knowledgeable on strength training, and I want to thank him again for joining me and taking the time. But before we dive into it, a few things first. As I said, this is the final episode of season two, which means that next week I will be launching season three. Super excited for this because for season three, um, I'm changing things up a little bit. So every season I've kind of changed the focus and changed uh, kind of what the, how I'm basically spreading how athletes find their edge. Um, for those that have been listening for a while, season one was all about how athletes learn to unlock their edge. So I was chatting with athletes directly. Um, season two, I transitioned to chatting with coaches to get the insights on how they help their athletes to unlock their edge. So season three, I'm actually combining the two, um, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, so I'm going to have both the coach and the athlete join me on the podcast to learn how these relationships have helped the athlete conquer both the highs in their career and the lows. Um, so I have a pretty wide array of guests lined up that I think you will be pretty you know, inspired by. Uh, we're going to touch on a bunch of different topics, but you know, some just to give you an example is uh, working through injuries, cracking the code on races and competitions, uh, using sport to change your life, um, which is something that I think that you know coaches have a pretty wide impact on or can have a wide impact on. Um, so I hope you're looking forward to this, and I think you know I personally think this this topic will will uh, intrigue. Um, a wide array. So I'm looking forward to, you know, showing you guys what, what, what I've got for you. Um, so I will get this season rolling next week. And from there, I will be sticking to the normal biweekly release. Um, so one more note before getting into the episode. This is the final episode um, with the original intro music. Um, so, you know, this episode with the intro you just heard is the final episode you will hear that. Um, on the beginning of season three, I'll have a brand new intro song, which is rad. Um, but you know, before that, I want to really thank um, our uh, musician who you know created uh, this intro music for me for uh, the first two seasons. Her name is Ingrid Smallman, and she's awesome. And I really want to thank her again for doing that. Um, her song will forever live on in uh, the first two seasons of this show. So again, thank you. All right. Thank you for uh, the announcements and um, thank you for joining. And without further ado, please enjoy part two of my chat with Alex Friedman on strength training and conditioning. Well, you touched on my next question because um, <laughs> my next question was literally myths. Um, but you know, I guess for endurance athletes that I would imagine is a majority of my listeners, um, how does, if you, okay, if you had an athlete come to you and said, I want to gain bulk, like I want to get bigger, 
what would the process be so that we can kind of compare that to what uh, endurance athletes are doing? Eat more. Yeah. Straight up, yeah. Um, We can do certain things in the weight room to stimulate muscle growth, but, you know, gaining and losing weight, it it becomes a nutrition thing. It becomes a calories in versus calories out, and that's kind of your global scale. Um, And and that, that kind of equation rings true is like if I'm, Intaking more calories than I'm outputting versus uh, via like resting metabolic rate, exercise, um, thermal effect of food. If those combining factors of um, calorie output are larger than the calorie input and I'm not eating enough, I'm going to lose weight. Like, that's pretty simple. Um, so if I up how much I'm eating and we can train on top of that, which means I have to eat more because I'm training more. Like we just have to have an idea where that caloric balance is. Um, and I want to tread lightly here because I very much shy away from the, the ballpark of, of nutrition. I know enough, but I don't want to come off. I'm, I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not anything <laughs> Same. That, Same. Yeah, agree that, on that. that wants <laughs> to get too far into that. That was funny that, um, we actually, I, I run a podcast, a building fighting podcast, and we, um, just had our first guest on who was a registered dietitian for sports performance. And it was like, thank God you're here because we've spent 30 episodes avoiding nutrition. <laughs> we, we don't want to yeah. talk about it because again, because of how kind of how, how integral or how, um, involved that is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's, that's my short answer for okay. if you need to gain mass. Um, I think get, that yeah. it's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at least in like the in, uh, endurance world, it was you know when strength training started becoming more of a thing. At first, a lot of it was like building lean mass, like building mm-hmm. lean muscle and endurance muscles, and just different quotes of basically what I understand, what I'm guessing is more just marketing at trying to convince people that lifting is okay um, for endurance athletes. Um, when now that that seems to be kind of like shifted from you know that's there that might not necessarily be a thing it's just kind of like how you apply training which is no different than any other system of training basically yeah yeah, absolutely and i I mean and affecting your body composition is not going to be a bad thing like if if we decrease the amount of stored fat that you have um and increase the lean body fat or the lean body mass like if that's a a needed adaptation uh, most endurance athletes operate at a low body fat percentage anyway um but we need some of those stores for fat if we're doing ultra endurance blah 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 um but body comp is something that can be addressed if needed um and certainly in different uh, like in field sports something like football lacrosse um soccer like body comp is maybe one of the buckets that we fill one of the main focuses but it doesn't have to be that way and um kind of like you said like if we're lifting just to add lead body mass um that's going to have a like a marginal effect on performance like the typical or not the typical the the correct logic and and what i kind of want to scream from the rooftops right now is that strength training as a way to increase your endurance performance is not a matter of increasing one rm or putting more muscle on it's a function of creating more efficiency through your neural stimulus and your muscles. Like mm-hmm. you think about your max capacity of lifting. Let's say, let's say we're doing a, a lunge because that's unilateral and that's similar. I guess we can compare that to a gait cycle uh, in running. We're doing a lunge and my threshold, I can 
do a lunge with a hundred pounds. Right. And so, um, I can add that to my body weight and then I'm doing a hundred lunge, a hundred pounds plus body weight in a lunge. Every time that I run and I hit the ground, I'm hitting my body weight on the ground plus whatever forces are coming down from my flight cycle. And so there's a capacity or a, a percentage of max load that I'm hitting, right? Mm-hmm. So body weight, um, and in that is a percentage of your body weight plus hundred pounds in that lunge. Now let's say we go through a cycle of strength training. We don't gain mass. We train correctly and add a, a, a neural component. And then now I can lunge 200 pounds plus my body weight. Well, when I run, I'm still only hitting my body weight plus whatever flight phase hits the ground, right? So each stride therefore takes less, more submaximal effort and I can be more efficient in that manner. And that, that is the, the type of logic I think that needs to get applied to strength conditioning for endurance sport is that we're increasing the efficiency or your stride of efficacy and efficiency via being able to produce more ground reactive force or more vertical force or, or however you want to look at it in a biomechanical or physical sense. Like, yeah. And so that's where I specifically for endurance running, that's where I've got a, a, a plethora of research articles that base it on and, and kind of work around that. And I think cycling gets to the same point. Essentially, it's just a, a less impact on the ground right. and more of a um, constant resistance. But still, if we have a higher threshold for resistance and then we're cycling at a submaximal th- threshold, let's keep that submaximal threshold more submaximal than the guy next to me. So, yep. I mean, that's, that's kind of, I think the logic that, that should be promoted in a strength conditioning for endurance sport or cycling type of world. Yeah. I think this is totally a side tangent. It just, uh, reminded me a little bit of it, but, um, you know, as it's a very common thing for athletes to come to me with cramping issues, like at mm-hmm. the beginning when I'm starting to work with them, um, having that be a big thing in their, in their past history and then, and, and trying to work through that. Um, and there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, uh, of just shots in the dark essentially out there about cramping in general. Um, and, and there's a lot that's just really not known about cramping in general. Um, and then the big, you know, emphasis is on sodium intake and, or hydration. Um, and that could be a factor. Um, but it also could be the fact that you just haven't trained to that stimulus. And then that is where the cramping is coming from. Cause you know, when does a cramp most likely come around? It's because you're in an environment that you normally don't put yourself into. Um, and that's, that's tough for athletes to hear. Um, but something I haven't done a ton on, and I'll admit this, um, is I haven't used strength and conditioning. I haven't used the gym as a good resource to building out that resilience. Um, and like trying to target, uh, you know, I don't know if there's enough research out there to really say if you are having a cramp in, in a particular muscle that it, that is it. It's because of the strain on that muscle that caused that mm-hmm. uh, particular sensation. But um, you know, I haven't tr- I haven't tried that. I haven't used that with an athlete because I think actually that that's not a bad idea if you have a fairly time crunched athlete that is having uh, big cramping issues or maybe they're a really like VO two dominant athlete, so they are able to dig pretty deep. Um, but can't kind of like put in the training volume to kind of level that out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just, this is, no, I'm totally just throwing out an idea, I just, but no, I, I love it. And I, I like what you're saying about cramps because, um, 
they're they're a, a weird thing that goes on in your body that we really don't have a great explanation for it's like fatigue yeah. like why do you get tired we don't really know why you get tired or what the actual reason being tired is we know how to get tired and we know how to get tired better or whatever but like what is actually going on in your body for fatigue and there's theoretical hypothesis and things that, that are hard to test and, and the same thing for cramping um and i'm gonna see what you said like you cramp because you're going into an environment that you're not used to going into um in my in my kind of training and education you cramp for two reasons fatigue you got an overstimulating or you cramp because it's a new range of motion that your muscles not un- accustomed to and um i like what you said because you can combine those two things we're fatiguing in a range of motion that we're not used to um Mm -hmm. so when i think cramps i think again of the neural system um so when you think of your muscle actions you supply energy to the muscle you via an electrical stimulus through your nervous system what often gets missed is you need a substrate you need energy to relax that muscle as well Mm -hmm. right so um when we cramp and we fatigue that muscle so much that Either your body is not in a position immediately to supply that energy to relax the muscle. Um, and that's like straight, like you said, overwork, or we're getting into uncharted waters in the conditioning type of cycle. Or if we're in the weight room and I do this a lot with like mobility exercises and stability type of things, we're getting into a position where we're not used to, but may be required in the sport. And we're going to hold that position or we're going to try and extend that range of motion through our nervous control. And that elicits cramps a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I'm going to go one more thing. Um, no, good. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> All about it. But exactly like you said, in the weight room, that's a good place where we can like specifically target what's making you cramp, right? If if we've noticed in our bike ride, in our, in our training, it's, you know, always on the climbs when we're getting cramps or it's always in this specific section of this specific ride or like, or it's a common stimulus. We can isolate that stimulus jack up the resistance in the weight room, do a similar type of biomotor pattern and create an adaptation to that demand that our body can't fulfill. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we can almost like push that threshold and, and, and fill that bucket if that's a significant impact in your, in your training or your performance. So I think that's a great like isolation thing that you, you can do and is maybe not knowledgeable to do or not, uh, recommended to do with everybody but is a right. is a specific problem to a specific a specific solution to a specific, specific problem. problem yeah 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 i another side question we're, we'll get back to our <laughs> actual questions eventually um the basically one of the biggest questions i get from my athletes that i am putting through uh strength training is mm-hmm. before or after um riding so basically like the before or after their dominant sport practice or session um and usually you know i land in the spot of the bike is the priority so usually i would rather be able to track standardized sensations through that medium Mm -hmm. um but you know i I did kind of want to hear your input on this um and yeah just i guess from general working with all sorts of different athletes from different sports kind of where do you land on that um, no, I, I think that's that's a good question. I think that's extremely personalized, um, and it can be 
different via every context or situation, right? So, I mean, I, I'm going to avoid the, the blanket. It depends, but it does, <laughs> it does depend. Um, Dude, that's been said, I think, in every <laughs> single episode of this podcast. <laughs> well, then you have some good people on, I think. Right, um, yeah. But for me, I, I would lean towards what uh, your personal schedule is and then what cycle of training that you're into. So I know specifically with um, different sports that, that I've trained, it's like depends if we're off season or in season um, and depends on what um, you're at, what's going to affect your performance the most. So off season, we can prioritize the general preparation, the weight room a little more where we can do strength and conditioning. And that can be our like emphasis for the day or our first workout or whatever you want to see as more important. Um, when, and then when we're in season, the, um, the spectrum shifts and obviously your sports specific practice is going to get more of your attention, more of your energy. So that's going to come first. Um, but that being said, some, some athletes that I have, like they cannot lift after practice. Like it just doesn't work for them physically. They're always going to throw up. They're fatigued, blah, blah, blah. Um, or some athletes have to lift before they cycle because they don't want to be fatigued when they cycle. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's an individual pro individual solution. Um, but I would base it on time of the year and preparation for an upcoming event or performance. Like if we're six months out from a race, um, that might be the perfect time to emphasize the weight room and get a little bit stronger, a little bit more powerful now. And then when we get four and a half months out from the race, then we can shift the, the kind of gears towards, and again, I don't know that how many people have six months in between races, but um, then we can shift our priorities. So it's kind of a prioritization that way. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think we pretty much agree um, on that one. All that's right, that's the end goal on every question, right? Is that, right, that we right. agree? That we... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a full on argument on this podcast. I, I don't think I would just. All right, it's on. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna next question. Contradict everything. Yeah, <laughs> I love playing uh, devil advocate. Advocate. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, I guess. I mean, we kind of covered a majority of this one, which I guess is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would like to ask um, for, and this is like spitballing what is most common for you to see mm -hmm. um endurance athletes uh you already listed kind of one myth uh what other myths are there and um i guess like what do you commonly note as like the most important thing that endurance athletes can bring into their repertoire um, um in the gym yeah um and I think this is big with endurance athletes, but most other non-traditional weight room athletes, you know, that we have, like, uh, most colleges have their cross country team in the weight room now, or mm -hmm. like, um, I think the, the atmosphere, the connotation with a weight room is super bro heavy, super meathead, super coach is going to yell at you and, and try and make you lift more weight type of thing. Um, so I think, changing that perception is, is huge in the strength conditioning field. Um, like I talked about when I was at DU and my first team was divers. Like if I brought that attitude in the weight room with divers that, that are not comfortable in there to begin with, and then I start yelling at them and, and demanding more weight and things, that's just going to give them a bad emotional, a bad, um, uh, mental response to the weight room. And then 
training is going to become secondary because that's somewhere that you never want to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, same with endurance sports. If, if the weight room is like an intimidating place or that somewhere that you don't find yourself wanting to be, then maybe you change your weight room. Maybe you find a different, you know, place to carry out or a different coach, um, to do your strength and conditioning that, that is going to cater more towards you as a person. So, um, the weight room doesn't have to be a meathead place. And that's something that I I've wanted to kind of combat ever since I've came into the field is like, yeah, being in the weight room with a, a football team and everybody's got jacked energy is fun for me. Right. That's not fun for everybody. Like a lot of people don't like being in that atmosphere. So how can we bring it into an atmosphere that you want to be at? And that is actually genuinely going to improve performance. And let's bring that product to somebody rather than, the, the general program to everybody else. So, um, the weight room doesn't have to be a meathead, um, session, I think is a, is a big understanding. Um, when I think about endurance athletes and, and best things that, um, are like common mistakes that I see, um, not eating enough. Um, hmm. that's okay. that comes to my, my mind. Yeah. Um, just because you are so, um, so heavy on your caloric expenditure i mean just view your sport the duration the intensity of it like you're gonna burn a ton of calories and then most likely if you're eating your metabolic rate is going to be higher so um make sure we're fueling enough to to get through the sport to actually have the performance and that's not a bad factor um but again yeah strength is not a downfall in mostly any category. So I, I always want to promote that we can get stronger and we can get stronger specifically to be better at the sport. It's not a, it's not going to make you slow. It's not going to gain you weight. Um, that was another myth. I think that's been promoted. It's like strength training. You just get tight and slow. And like, Mm -hmm. if we strength train through a full range of motion and strength train correctly, um, strength training should be corrective in nature in that, just by doing these movements, we're correcting some of our body's dysfunctional compensatory patterns. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I, that's what I got for that one. No, that's great. So what about, because um, one thing that's really big in uh, my world is whether or not to lift year round. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of athletes like that is, as I mentioned earlier, is finally growing into a place of Mm-hmm. acceptance yeah. um so i'm curious kind of like what your thoughts are on that front um if you're you know an athlete's training for a particular event and you're into a training cycle that is very uh, competition or race dominant um yeah. how to juggle that balance between yeah. kind of like holding on to that strength work well What's your advice? yeah i measure that just by you know personal commitment to performance like if you're a professional athlete and you're not training year-round in some capacity like you're not doing your job you're not putting enough time in um but for majority of the people in the world that aren't professional athletes it, it comes to a a decision of prioritization you know monetary commitment time commitments um if I like again in my worldview I think everybody trains year-round in some capacity for strictly for wellness sake. And then if you want to take that further into sports performance, yes, you're training year round. Um, I, I would like to take that approach, especially going into competition. Again, if you have a competent strength and conditioning coach or a competent sports performance specialist, um, 
they're going to peak and taper to that competition. We're not going to just continue to smoke you because, you know, you pay for the membership and, and that you want to get tired. Like that's, right. that's the wrong approach if that's not your goals. Um, so definitely train up to your competition. And then, like we say, towards the latter ends, if we need to prioritize cycling or prioritize sports specific training more, absolutely. You know, um, most teams that I've worked with in season don't lift more than twice a week. Um, and that is mostly to continue the physical stimulus of the foundation we've already put in the off season. So if we're in an off season, we can put a, a good foundation down and then we can continue to, uh, re up or continue to maintain those stimuluses and even grow training twice a week. And then let's say it's two weeks before your race, maybe our last strength conditioning session is like eight to 10 days out. And then we can focus on the bike or we can focus on the race. Um, uh, and then there's, other, there's the other approach too, where I know a lot of strength and conditioning coaches advocate for like, um, potentiation or for a specific priming workout. And they do that either day of or day before race day. And, um, so it's just, there's different approaches, but I would prioritize training year round. Um, and I'm very biased on that. I would say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, what do you, okay. So you had mentioned, um, and I'm curious just how this compares to, um, yeah, just like cycling and, and running coaching in general. But, mm -hmm. um, so you had mentioned you, you lay that foundation in place. Um, mm -hmm. and let's say that's like the off season, um, training. And then from there, once you're in kind of like a holding on to that, what you've built, yeah. what is, um, and I know this is again, individualized, but what's a good example of doing that? Like, what does that equal? Like short, heavy lifts like what does that yeah. equal um yeah it's customized to, to the person but to the sport as well so um and this is huge in the strength issue world there's you know many different methods to accomplish the a lot of the same training principles mm -hmm. um but one of the methods that i, I love to employ and uh, i'm probably biased towards it because it works fantastically with uh wrestlers and mixed martial artists mm -hmm. but um if we're training it's called a conjugate method so a conjugate method um i don't know how familiar you or your listeners would be but is we stress maximally different qualities on maybe let's say two or three different days of the week hmm. um and that came out of a very influential gym west side barbell um which i don't know again how familiar everybody is with the initiation of strength conditioning but west side barbell was a powerlifting gym so their athletes competed at the bench squat and deadlift um, and at one time, um, late 1990s, their small little gym, um, of maybe 50 people had more world records than anywhere else in the world combined. Wow. So this conjugate method arose from their insights into training and from a Louis Simmons approach, who is the guy that runs it. Um, and it's been adapted into every football weight room ever. Um, but a conjugate method, again, is you stress maximally two qualities on two different days of the week. So let's say um, our cyclist needs a lot of power. That's one of their our identified um, buckets that we need to fill. And then let's say their other um, bucket that we've identified in the weight room is kind of a specific work capacity of, I don't know, of some dynamic motion. Let's say the glutes. Let's say they their glutes fatigue out. And we've, again, identified these type of stimulus 
through our training, through their competition, through the cycle training and everything. So one day we're going to completely devote to power. Everything's moving fast. Everything's moving hard. Everything uh, we're moving weight as fast as we can. And, and we're being very dynamic in that workout in that nature. It's about mm-hmm. speed. It's not necessarily about weight. Mm-hmm. And then let's say the other workout of the day, we, we contribute specifically to this work capacity issue where we want to build up a fatigue resistance and we can work all day to not fatigue in that sense. So we've identified these qualities and we're trying to get better at them while we hold on to other qualities. So that's a conjugate method that we can employ, which is a little less taxing on the body um, because we're not accumulating a lot of fatigue in one area. And it's a good model for like an in-season lift. Um, And the other thing I want to talk about with in-season lifts are getting closer to competition but still wanting to strength train is their training residuals. Um, Training residuals, I think, are, are big um, in a lot of conditioning sports and specifically a lot of field sports. And essentially the training residual is how long you hold on to a training effect. So if we're talking about establishing an aerobic base, um, which is kind of a joke for endurance athletes because that's your sport. Um, but field athletes, let's say offensive linemen in football all the time does not have great cardio. I mean, that's pretty, uh, blatant. But we need to establish this aerobic base. And if we establish this aerobic base, and then let's say this athlete moves out of the country and does nothing, they just sit on the couch. They're going to maintain most of that aerobic base for about 30 to 60 days, right? So, how long does it take for this adaptation to go away? Um, And you have certain strength qualities that go hand in hand with your endurance quality. So, aerobic conditioning lasts pretty long. 36 days is pretty long strength, like maximal effort strength. If we were to max out lasts about the same time, about 60 or about 30 to 60 days. Um, so you're not going to get that much weaker if we don't maxly train strength for 30 days. But then we get to the other end of the spectrum and we talk about short duration power. So let's say like a 10 second sprint on the hill or 10 second high resistant interval. Um, we can train that specific quality and get better at that and, and put that in for a couple of weeks. But if we don't train that for two weeks, it's gone. It, it's more likely to disappear than the, the aerobic base of the strength is. So keeping in mind these training residuals and then piecing those into the puzzle, like we need a dose of this high intensity power because we haven't hit that, but we still need it to perform. Um, this athlete is specifically weak in the power so we can devote the whole day to that power. And that's a conjugate system. Um, and putting that together where we can maintain, um, physiological qualities or performance qualities, and then also work within that conjugate method, um, is kind of how I look at it. If I was to nerd out on an in-season program, I like this. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's similar to, um, in a way, to kind of like tapering out volume. Yeah. So absolutely. when you're going into a race intensity or just intensity phase, um, you're, you cannot just exponentially load, um, both. So you have to kind of like give and take. Um, yeah. and then that also, yeah, aligns with, all right, in the cycling world, there is chronic training load. Um, and that is something that athletes obsess over and it's a number, um, Mm -hmm. that represents fitness and more or less it's an indication of volume or intent or like just training load in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
you cannot just increase that till the day of the race unless it's a very particular race and you're a very particular athlete. Um, so you do taper that out a little bit and it flatlines. And that's during the period that you're changing your um, focus yeah. onto other things. So yeah, it's kind of like the, the same thing, but you're, you do need to retouch up on that system eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, even the most, you know, most in-depth athlete that has the humongous base built up um, will eventually need to retouch up on that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what a lot of athletes actually forget um, and, and lose. So yeah. it's interesting that you have that in the back of your mind and that's like very much more like block periodization style focus, um, which yeah. is also interesting. So, yeah, yeah. no, and I guess that's, a, that's a good segue into one of my questions here that I wanted to ask. Um, All right. And this was a crossover and I, I was kind of taken aback. Um, again, Chris, my roommate, who's a mutual friend, we got to have kind of in depth or like actual conversations around periodization, mm-hmm. which was interesting to me because I think, in the cycling world periodization and then varying volume intensity is a pretty is common knowledge correct uh yeah i mean i, I guess like well, common it, common is a big word but right uh, or like yeah. a cyclist like you yes. get into cycling yeah. you learn about periodization or like yeah. how to vary your volume where right. if i said that to any of my speed athletes they'd be like period is a what like, <laughs> that that's yeah. not a, a common vernacular for most um athletes that i'm working with in the field or um, right. on a different sport so um, I guess what is your general structure for periodization? Um, and you kind of outlined how you, uh, wave load or undulate, um, volume and intensity. What's, what's a little bit of your approach. What's the, the cycling approach in general mm-hmm. to the, this quote unquote term that is periodization. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of funny that you make that point because as I mentioned, like the, uh, it, um, there's a, a gentleman named um, Friel um, who created what is kind of like coined as modern periodization within cycling. He actually didn't make up periodization. That, that is falsely assumed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there is, yeah, pretty clear uh, definitive studies on who exactly made up everything. But Anyways, because it's cycling, we pointed at the first person that kind of (laughs) applied it to cycling. Um, But he also wrote, uh, like, the Mecca book, which is called um, Cyclist Training Bible. Um, And it is a very well-written book, in my opinion, of a grassroots, like, just lay out everything. Um, And I think that, you know, that definitely changed all of of the uh, training approach within endurance sports and and cycling and running in particular and triathlon um and i would say it is a very i don't know how many books he's sold but it's very common that most people have read that the moment that they start looking into how to train um particularly anyways um the i guess periodization to me is a uh, a pathway or just a path in general, um, to training an athlete, um, towards an outcome, towards a goal, towards an adaptation, whatever it might Mm be. And there's of course, like the, the micro mesa, like all the different, um, I guess like macro look view of periodization in general. So it could be within a week, it could be within, um, 
a block, so like a, a period of time um, from week to week. Um, and I would say like stepping away from myself for a second, uh, in general, cycling um, in particular and endurance sports aligns on the three-on, one-off or uh, two-on, one-off periodization cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, you build throughout the three weeks and then you take a rest week. And the misconception by a lot of athletes is that a rest week is like off. Nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, is not. So um, actually, sometimes on rest weeks, you end up doing some pretty hard sessions, which tends to shock some athletes. Um, but anyways, the so the, I would say like that's the standard cookie cutter thing that is um, very, very, very common to see. I use it in a lot of my athletes. Um, and it's funny because I get new athletes that come to me and you know as a as a coach i'm sure you get it like one of the biggest thing you're you're doing is optimizing someone's schedule that's like what you're you're mm-hmm. doing you're optimizing demands um to get adaptations and, and part of a demand is their life that is yeah. a demand um so their family their job like every single thing that they have to juggle around um and sometimes i'll get new athletes to come to me and say like all right i've got this this and this i can only really train on this day and this day and this day during this hour segment um, like, is this too much? Like, am I being unrealistic to, um, come to you and, and, and hire you as a coach? Like, can you really do anything with this? Um, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is great. Like, yeah. this is, this is something, well, one, it's a challenge, but two, it, it, it forces me to step away from that cookie cutter box. And that's like what makes hiring a coach so worthwhile. If that's where you align, if you can so easily follow a training plan, then by all means do it, like save yourself some cash. Like that's, that's wonderful. But for a majority of people, they need that customization and it, and it goes a long way. So, um, in that scenario, um, I get really excited because I do step away from that, like standardized periodization, um, and step into, all right, we have this period of time to work with and, and how do we optimize that? Um, and then it becomes a little bit more chunky, um, which is okay. And then you have to kind of like align with, okay, so I'm going to use another example. I coach, um, decent amount of surgeons and, uh, actually like firefighters and, um, I've done some, I've coached some nurses and EMTs and they have like a very chunky schedule in general where they have like two days on, um, like five days off or mm-hmm. something along those lines. And, um, actually a surgeon I'm coaching right now has like a week where he is on basically like living at the hospital. Um, <laughs> and he's like remarkably able to ride trainer when he's there, but it's, it's also like, all right, we're going to make that, um, a week where of course your volume is going to be tapered. So we need things to be very particular. Um, and then also it's like in his, eyes it was like oh i can still ride every day like don't tell me that i need to take that week off and i'm like well we don't need to have you take that week off but how much stress is work going to apply if you're living at a hospital um and he's a rather new athlete so i'm still figuring that stress load out but um that's all these things you have to kind of like take into account and then um so basically in those scenarios i step away from pretty much all periodization and, and I don't want to say that because like my experience just applies the periodization. I just don't have a word for what I yeah, use. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it tends to be kind of chunky, more blockish where I'm like, all right, we have this response that I have this window at four days. And of course, if you do four hard workouts in a row, that athlete is going to be pretty whacked by the, the fourth day. That's just kind of like the nature of the beast. Um, so 
you have to of course have that like uh work out at the end of that tail that is less maximal that takes a little bit less energy less mentally taxing as well so you have to like program that in and that's kind of when it's also fun because if you're coaching in blocks then that has to be fine-tuned within that block so then it's a, it becomes like in a basically like a micro periodization within that period um and then you get into all right well we're gonna have you take a, a weekend off work so you can just train so we can really get in a huge load um and because you have to take advantage of those time um, that time even more um so it's funny because i'll have athletes that are you know time crunch um kind of like more normal people um <laughs> ask me how their training differs from my pro guys and i'm basically like dude your training is so much more dynamic and cool than like the pro guys because the pro guys sure i give them really like sexy and um, very pointed training that um is very replication based and stuff like that as far as like replicating what they're going to experience in races and they have everything like perfectly dialed for them but it's also like very like there's no other variables going on or they shouldn't yeah, yeah. be um and of course there always are but it's like to a relativity so you, it's like the, the variables are pretty minimal so like one of them might be like oh you need to go do five hours in the rain um instead of having like perfect weather in california so it's it's pretty minimal stuff but like the that's always that's why i always say like the more like time crunched and more different things you have um the more sometimes the more fun you are to coach um so that was a long-winded answer to your question um but basically i approach periodization just with like every person um, if they come to me as a blank slate, what I'm probably going to pick up is the standard, um, two on or three on one off periodization. Um, but most people aren't that way. So then you have to adapt and, and shift and change and take advantage of what you can. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference between canned plans, um, and what you're going to receive from, you know, a good coach. I love that, man. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's, beautiful in that it's <laughs> adaptable and fluid right because like um and that is where a lot of strength and conditioning is trending to towards and and that's what i like um as we talked about kind of the art or the the informed choice of um coaching mm -hmm. but a, a model for it and what i've, I've kind of researched that i've looked at is called fluid periodization or flexible periodization yeah um and that again just incorporates more of the body the athlete's subjective and and then the body's readiness availability and like you'll have a general emphasis and, and a general plan but then you can always adapt and pivot uh based on like you said scheduling prioritization readiness scores physical um limitations maybe and stuff like that but and i, I love what you said too like as a coach and, and I've and strength and conditioning, I feel like has absorbed this role for a lot of sports performance teams. Like if we're in that upper echelon of professional sport, like you have a sports specific coach, you have a strength and conditioning coach, you have a PT, you have a, a sport physician. If you're injured, you have a dietitian, you have all these people in your corner. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think strength and conditioning and, and has just absorbed the role of being that like stress manager. Right. It's like, how do we balance and find these stresses? And like, like you said, but maybe if you're a person's only coach, that's the role that you're playing. Um, but I, I've seen this at the high at the UFC at the highest level, too. It's like 
the strength and conditioning coach is the one that balances the schedule and says, maybe we shouldn't do the hard training that day. Maybe we should change this schedule there around there and, and to optimize your week. Um, but like as a coach, that's one of your biggest jobs is just to manage the stress and the total load that your athlete's body is going under both mentally, emotionally, uh, and physically. So, um, yeah. and that is an embodiment of periodization because, uh, to me, periodization is just a plan. Like you create a plan to get to an end goal. And there's a lot of specific ways that a lot of different people have created that plan. And the more tools that you can incorporate or at sometimes the less tools that you incorporate, the better. Um, and so that's where I would point to my kind of variety of experience being at NCAA football, working with Olympic sports, working at uh, the UFC, um, now in the private sector with high school athletes, it's like having those, that variety has exposed me to different methodologies, different periodization approaches. And, and now I look at my training and, and the way I lean as kind of an amalgamation of, of all those different approaches and, and what I've seen being successful here versus what may not be successful there versus what do I think is going to transfer to a high school athlete from the, from a professional setting. And it's like, um, that's where you can create your own personal stamp on a periodization plan as a coach. And I think, like you said, that's the value in hiring a coach because this like cookie cutter plan or the, this PDF that you can download and, and follow in your training is, is cool. It's probably better than winging it and doing nothing, but it's not optimal. Right. Yep. So yep. Uh, we, we inch closer to that optimal framework when, when we have an experienced, knowledgeable coach in our corner. Right. Yeah. I wonder, like, I guess a lot of periodization is probably at the root of it when um, periodization was created. It, it's this concept of what is the optimal amount of load to recovery and then uh, to basically solve or help the masses. So everyone. Yeah. Um, and then and that and that's great like that of course helps and does help a lot of people and i think that that's been shown in many sporting worlds um to work but it's also like all right that just because you haven't put a term to something that you do doesn't necessarily make it like any less than that because instead you're customizing that training process towards um, an individual and what they need um and i think like that is a tough thing because a lot of people want this be all end all thing that they know will work for them or they you know like can just be sold on one thing like the magic pill that just makes you lose a bunch of weight mm -hmm. like it's that kind of thing but um ultimately i just yeah it's one of those things that like if you're not customizing it to you um you're either the perfect person for it or um it's not your optimal yeah training stress absolutely man i like uh, i like the saying like you know, all words are made up like periodization is just a word, right? Like we call this thing or that it, but like, you know, somebody made up fluid periodization, somebody made reverse engineering, somebody made up reverse periodization. Like it's all just things that, that people have made up and named and coined. And like, whether it has merit or not, it depends on your context. And if you see results, like there's no one thing that's going to work for every specific athlete. It's like, yeah. it's, it's finding the, the best recipe that you can managing the stress loads. And that's, um, that's where I, I I've seen a lot of mix. Like, it, I don't know if I had to go into a camp, like 
I, I block a lot of my periodization. So we're working on a specific emphasis for a three on one off for, for however long. Um, and with a lot of inexperienced athletes like, or, or relatively immature athletes that, that we see at high school, immature in like in a biological sense, not in right, that, like right, an emotional right. sense. Um, and this is a novel stimulus. We can train for six weeks to eight weeks straight before we need some of that recovery because like, we're just going to keep going, getting better and getting better. But within that blocked approach, there's linear progressions to everything. There's linear periodization. Again, like I said, we're week in, week out. We're trying to make gains. Um, yep. There's undulating stress. Um, whether it's stressing volume this week or, or maybe stressing volume on day one and then intensity day two, there's, there's different stresses that undulate and kind of wave in and out of there. Um, some athletes get to a conjugate model of periodizations, but, and then there's always that fluid adaptation, like, you know, maybe we have a, a football game on Saturday, like Monday's training is definitely going to be impacted by that. Or maybe you have a race, a, a two day race, Saturday, Sunday, like, the whole next week's training is going to be impacted by that. Right. So yeah. it's like, um, it's like, there's always these concurrent models and, um, there's a good resource too, um, by a guy named Chad Wesley Smith at juggernaut training systems. Uh, he wrote a blog article about how you incorporate all these different periodization methodologies into one full program. And that, that's something that I, I've kind of relied upon or looked at that as a way to be creative in my coaching, but, but also, um, find the best Avenue towards actually getting better at whatever physical quality or actually impacting performance. Yeah. And I, the other thing is like that, as you kind of mentioned, there is different responses that we're trying to train and you can use different points during a um, a cycle to accomplish that. So if you're trying to maybe let's say like I'm throwing out an example of fatigue resistance, if you're trying to train fatigue resistance, you might say, all right, you have this big race weekend. So you're, we're high, um, high intensity load, um, high fatiguing. And then we're actually going to have you do a pretty decent session on Monday. And that that's like purposeful. Um, but that's not in like a, a standard periodization system. Like that's just not how it, that works. Yeah. So like that's when you customize it to you, what your goals are. Um, and when you kind of need to step away from that, like uh, what is known or what you've been told and say like, well, I'm trying to train this and I have these other things going on in my life. So how do I flip that and make it actually my advantage? And that's tough because you're, like, let's say, for example, I'm having an athlete do like a, a big day, like a six hour. This is a pro athlete, by the way. Um, if you're not, don't go do this. But basically, <laughs> if you're doing a big stage race, then I'm trying to get them hugely uh, fatigue resistance. Um, and I'm, then I'm having to do a five hour day after um, that uh, big weekend. Then you can, um, you need to let them know ahead of time, like you're going to be tired for this, but there's a purpose to it. And this is what you're doing. And it's kind of like the same with you, um, like in a strength setting, trying to keep people like invigorated, telling them what the purpose of them doing something is. Um, it's the same thing there, but that mental side is, is really important to say like, this is for a reason, um, you will feel probably run down, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's like another side uh, tangent, I guess, off of customizing. No, absolutely, man. I'm gonna go on a tangent off your tangent. That's yeah, too crazy. <laughs> um, but like, I think something that we all forget, and I think something that I mean, 
like like maybe you said is an is a novel idea to the cycling world is like periodization came about from a sports science state sponsored program in the Soviet Union and they were working with athletes that lived on a sport camp that all in every life stress that they had was controlled by their training like and and the periodization was birthed out of that and when we look at that that's just not realistic to the lives that anybody lives now like um your stress is from coming from multiple different areas um and that's where this block periodization or where some of these more advanced training methods came out of and like yes they were successful and and like that's pretty much the grassroots of strength conditioning is, is the soviet sports science program but um that's not a realistic application um to a, a high schooler that's three sports has a 4.0 and is, is trying to also get their chores done at night like yeah. um or a a nurse that's working to a 48 hour shift and is on call and trying to cycle at the same time like it's not the same so it's like principles yes we take the ideas and and for what they're worth methods we need to play with we need to apply what's applicable and and, and kind of discard the rest so um man perfectly put i love it Uh, well shoot okay it's been a good bit we've made it through i think like two questions each great great <laughs> good progress good progress uh all right alex um thank you again for joining me um for i mean you've listed a lot of really good resources already on this on this episode but um how can our listeners find you and yeah follow you and and see what you're up to yeah man um if you guys i'm on instagram strong af or strong underscore a dot f um is my handle uh that's i don't know personal somewhat training related but that's not exclusively strength and conditioning um i contribute to a page building a fighter which is my and uh, my co-host podcast and that's the company that we're building out for um an mma uh, healthcare and sport specific preparation company cool. um but yeah man i mean beyond that if you want to get in touch at outlaw strength and fitness that's uh in littleton colorado um outlaw training hq is that instagram and that's kind of where we've been funneling everybody but um i'm out there i just i'm not a socialite so i'm not gonna quite share everything but i'll send me a dm send me an email um and i'll I'll help you out if if you want to get in contact with me that is sweet sweet all right um well thank you everyone once again and um yeah, we'll we'll get this out. This will definitely be a two-parter, um, which I've been, which I'm all for. So yeah. that's that's great. So thank you again, and and thanks for your insight just on the strength and conditioning world. Um, we'll just have to have more chats about this, and <laughs> yeah, maybe we can let you know, let each other know what our questions even were. Um, but yeah, again, everyone, um, find us on Instagram at Training Edge Pod. Um, give us a rate and review. That would be great. Um, as I kind of mentioned, I've got new season stuff in the works so that i'll eventually take over but i think i'm going to do a couple more of these so you'll have a couple more guests to to get to know um but yeah everyone have an awesome week enjoy your day um or night and um until next time keep finding your edge thanks guys Bye.